Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking about what a runner should do if you're worried the pain under the big toe joint might be a sesamoid stress fracture. Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast, where we help you understand how to keep training and running even if you've been injured. Sesamoid stress fractures may be one of the very worst injuries affecting runners. In fact, of all overtraining injuries that could actually seriously put your future of running at risk, it may be the sesamoid fracture that has the potential to ruin your ability to run forever. One day I got a message from a runner who had been ramping up for a marathon. He contacted me because he suddenly developed pain in the ball of the foot under the big toe joint. When he wrote to me, he said, Hey, Dr. Segler, I've been training for my first marathon. I read that hills would be a great way to get super strong. I really wanted to do well and finish in under four hours, so I started doing hill repeats on Fillmore Street in San Francisco. In case you haven't been to San Francisco, Fillmore Street is really steep. It's long and steep. In fact, it's so steep that there are actually stairs cut into the sidewalk so that you can either choose to walk up the slope or you can walk up stairs instead. Now he continued, things were going great and I really felt like all the training was starting to pay off. Then one morning, I got up and noticed this little aching pain in the bottom of my big toe joint every time I stepped on my right foot. It seemed to be worse on the hard tile in the kitchen. I've been really ramping up the miles and I'm worried this may be a sesamoid stress fracture. Can you tell me the best way to tell if this is a sesamoid stress fracture? Could the pain under the big toe joint be something else? It hurts right in the ball of the foot under the big toe joint. Please help. Well, this is a great question. Pain in the ball of the foot under the big toe joint can have a few causes. Based on this description and the location of the tenderness, I would be most worried about the following conditions. The first is sesamoiditis. Sesamoiditis is inflammation of the sesamoid bones, which are under the big toe joint, and doctors call the big toe joint the first metatarsal phalangeal joint. You stand on these two little bones, and because they get stressed more when you run uphill, they may develop inflammation, which we call sesamoiditis, or worse, they could develop into a full-on sesamoid stress fracture when you're doing lots of hill repeats or something like that. Now, if you push right on those hard little bones and one hurts more than the other, it's probably some injury to the sesamoid bone, such as sesamoiditis or a sesamoid stress fracture. The second possibility is tendonitis of a tendon called the flexor hallucis longus tendon, and the FHL tendon for short is a strain, inflammation, or some sort of micro-tearing within the tendon that pulls the big toe down against the ground, allowing you to push off when you run. Now, the sesamoid bones are actually embedded within the FHL tendon. If you push right under the big toe joint and the whole area is tender and it doesn't really seem to hurt more on one specific sesamoid bone, it may really just be FHL tendonitis that's causing the pain under the big toe joint. If you pull upward on the big toe away from the ground, you'll stretch the FHL tendon. If this hurts, FHL tendonitis is likely. Now, the third thing to think about if you have pain under the big toe joint is a sesamoid stress fracture. A sesamoid stress fracture is a tiny little crack in one of the sesamoid bones from doing too many hill repeats or too much running volume. If this is the cause of your foot pain, it will hurt more on one sesamoid than the other. It will also hurt when you pull the big toe upward and your foot will most likely be swollen and or bruised. Now, the best way to diagnose a stress fracture of the sesamoid bones is with an MRI. X-rays don't always show you stress fractures right away, and X-rays will only show a stress fracture in a sesamoid that has fractured or completely cracked. And But based on this story, however, a sesamoid fracture seems unlikely. As with all running injuries, the key, of course, is to make sure that you know which condition is causing the trouble. 
since we're mostly talking about the sesamoid injuries here, I'll just say that the FHL tendon hurts when you move the big toe up and down like I described before. It is also much less frequently causing pain in runners than sesamoid problems. We'll discuss it in more detail in a later episode. But right now we're going to talk about the sesamoids. Sesamoid injuries seem to be much more common and certainly much more serious. So first and foremost, you want to make sure that you don't miss a sesamoid injury. Now the sesamoid bones are the two smallest bones in your foot. They sit right underneath the big toe joint and these little kidney bean sized bones are critically important, yet they're vulnerable to injury. Sesamoid bones are bones which are embedded within a tendon to increase mechanical efficiency. You have several sesamoids in your body. The largest and best known of these is your kneecap or patella. Patella is just the medical term for kneecap. Now the patella is a roundish bone that's embedded within the patellar tendon. The external surface of the kneecap is covered with the tendon that crosses the knee connecting the powerful thigh muscles to the shin bone. The internal surface of the kneecap is covered with cartilage, and the cartilage helps the kneecap glide easily and decrease strain at the knee. Now, under each big toe joint in the ball of the foot, you have two little sesamoids sitting side by side. They're about the size of kidney beans or black beans, and the one that's closest to the little toe is called the fibular sesamoid. The one that's closest to the inside of your foot or arch is called the tibial sesamoid. Both of the sesamoid bones are embedded within the flexor hallucis longus, or FHL, tendon. Like the kneecap, they are also covered with cartilage that helps them and the FHL tendon glide when you walk and bend your big toe joint. The sesamoid bones can tolerate an incredible amount of stress. Now, when you walk, about 50% of all your body weight is transmitted through the big toe joint. This means about one quarter of your weight is supported on a little bone about the size of a black bean gliding along the bottom of your first metatarsal bone as you push off at the ball of the foot. When too much stress is applied to the sesamoids, they can become irritated, painful, and inflamed. This is the condition that we call sesamoiditis. Itis just means inflammation. In mild cases, sesamoiditis is really a form of tendonitis because it is the FHL tendon that's irritated. But if you continue to apply the same offending force to the big toe joint, the condition can become much more serious. In some cases, the sesamoid bones can even fracture. A cracked or broken sesamoid is a serious problem because they are very difficult to heal. Too much bending of the big toe joint can cause sesamoiditis. If you spend a great deal of time kneeling, which forces the big toe to bend upward into what we call dorsiflexion, you can stretch the FHL tendon and cause FHL tendonitis or mild sesamoiditis. A common cause of this is taking on a weekend home improvement project like installing a new tile floor. Sometimes this happens when you're gardening too, if you're like kneeling down planting flowers. Trauma to the big toe joint can also cause sesamoiditis. Even a sesamoid fracture, jumping off a ladder on a hard surface can cause a contusion or bruise of the articular cartilage covering the sesamoid bone. Repeatedly traumatizing the sesamoids by walking on a treadmill at a steep angle can do the same thing. You can also get trauma to the sesamoids if you swing your foot forward and accidentally kick a door jam, or if you're doing box jumps in CrossFit, or anything like that. Now, although the force is less with each motion, the cumulative stress when you're running uphill on a treadmill can have the same result. Elliptical trainers and treadmills cranked up at a steep angle force the big toe upward, dramatically increasing stress to the sesamoid bones. In triathletes, I seem to often see patients who have sesamoiditis, which is caused by stiff, poorly fitting cycling shoes. In training for an Ironman or 70.3 triathlon, the increased cycling volume results in repetitive stress type irritation and injury to the sesamoids. Now, this is often easily corrected with new cycling shoes, custom cycling orthotics, or a professional bike fit session. 
In terms of overtraining injuries related to the sesamoid bones, most runners will get sesamoiditis first. If they continue to train and continue to ignore the pain under the ball of the foot, the chronic stress applied to the sesamoid bone can lead to a sesamoid stress fracture. If you continue to ignore it after that, the sesamoid stress fracture can get weaker and actually break apart into multiple pieces causing a true sesamoid fracture. Now, because I mostly see runners in my practice, the most common cause of sesamoiditis I see is rapidly increasing mileage and running steep hills. This is usually in those training for their first marathon. I don't seem to see it nearly as often in seasoned marathon runners. Part of this may be that the newbie marathon runner is strengthening many structures all at the same time. The experienced runner typically has better developed neuromuscular connections that allow for better biomechanical efficiency and less stress to joint supporting structures like the sesamoid bones in the foot. And when you're training for a marathon, you are applying rapidly increasing loads to the bones, muscles, tendons, and ligaments. The muscles are sore and limit your training at the beginning, but they rapidly gain strength. The bones and ligaments upon which the muscles apply their force don't strengthen nearly as quickly. At some point, your muscles get strong enough to actually cause tiny little tears in the tendons, which we refer to as tendonitis, or cracks in the bone, which we refer to as stress fractures. When this happens to the FHL tendon or the sesamoids in your foot, you can get sesamoiditis. Hill repeats are one of the most effective tools a runner can use to increase strength and power. However, hill repeats put a ridiculous load on the ball of the foot. Most of the marathon runners I see with sesamoiditis have been doing hill repeats regularly for about a month. I have a theory about this. The first thing is I think that experienced runners are more biomechanically efficient and less likely to injure the sesamoids with hill training. And secondly, I think that the experienced runner is much more adept at listening to his or her body. If you have never run long distances, you may have a tougher time discerning acceptable muscle soreness from unacceptable joint and tendon tenderness. But I think most experienced runners know the difference. Now, a stress fracture is a tiny little hairline crack in a bone. This often happens from repetitive stress, such as rapidly increasing running distance too quickly. Neither you nor your podiatrist can see a stress fracture on an x-ray when it first starts to hurt. Stress fractures only become visible after your body has tried to heal it. You see secondary signs of healing. You don't see the initial injury. A sesamoid stress fracture may be visible anywhere from 2 weeks to 12 weeks after it becomes injured. Now, x-rays are notoriously unreliable with sesamoid injuries. Just because you can't see it on an x-ray doesn't mean it isn't broken. Now, MRI is a much more effective way to diagnose a sesamoid stress fracture. MRI can show a sesamoid fracture even in its earliest stages, but don't be confused. You're not going to see a big crack. You usually just see inflammation within the bone, which we refer to as a stress fracture. A sesamoid fracture that goes undiagnosed and untreated will invariably get worse. To a runner, chronic sesamoid problems can be a death sentence. So if you become concerned that you have a sesamoid fracture because you kick the ground doing leg swings when barefoot, you went a little overboard doing box jumps, or you simply accidentally kicked your foot into a door jam, you want to make sure you're treating it correctly. One of the questions I often get with sesamoid fractures is, how can I tell if I broke the sesamoid bone other than getting an x-ray? This is the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What's a virtual doctor visit? The idea of not running at all while waiting for my foot to heal was simply depressing. I really needed a second opinion from an expert, someone who specializes in helping runners. 
What you'll get from Dr. Segler, in my experience, is expert runner and medical care that's individualized for your needs. I left with actionable steps to recover from my injury. Dr. Segler is different, and I felt heard, didn't feel patronized, and I felt like he prioritized getting me back to running as soon as possible as much as I did. I just couldn't see sitting around for six weeks knowing my hard-earned fitness would vanish. I know Dr. Segler is an expert, and I wanted to see him in person. But frankly, I just couldn't afford the cost of a house call. I saved enough money to pay for my next marathon registration. You know, I have an appointment with Dr. Segler, whether it's via Skype or on the phone. You can expect, one, he's going to be on time. Two, he's going to be able to spend more time with you than the typical uh, visit in a doctor's office. And both of those are going to result in a more effective diagnosis and treatment plan for you. I'm a young woman in the Philippines and I hurt my ankle yesterday. I just wanted to say thank you and that it's such a relief to be able to find a website like yours and get some information when I'm in a place with uh, little to no medical care. So I just wanted to call and say thank you. You're awesome. Book a virtual doctor visit and get a second opinion online today. Welcome back to the Doc on the Run podcast. One of the questions I often get with sesamoid fractures is, how can I tell if I broke the sesamoid bone other than getting an x-ray? The first step to choosing the correct treatment is to make sure that you have the right diagnosis. You have to know what is wrong before you can fix it. As soon as a runner or someone thinks fracture, we start thinking x-ray. But x-rays aren't the only way to diagnose sesamoid fractures. In fact, many, if not most of the sesamoid fractures in runners won't show up on an x-ray anyway. Self-diagnosing sesamoiditis is fairly simple. You lightly press on the bottom of the big toe joint with one finger until you feel the hard little sesamoid bones. You press lightly and see if one hurts more than the other. If one is way more tender than the other, you will know which one is inflamed. If they're both similarly tender and the sesamoid bones both hurt, even when you pull up on the big toe as far upward as it will go to the end of range of motion, it's probably more likely to be FHL tendonitis than a true sesamoid injury. But if one bone is exquisitely tender when you press on it, the possibility of a sesamoid stress fracture or a broken sesamoid bone becomes much more likely. So the thing a lot of runners ask me is how do foot doctors diagnose sesamoiditis? Well, if you see a sports medicine foot specialist, the doctor will usually take a full history of the injury, perform a physical diagnosis exam, maybe take some x-rays, and then determine the exact cause of the injury and what's causing your pain. If there's a question of the sesamoid stress fracture, she might want to order an x-ray or an MRI of your foot. You have to remember that the sesamoid bones are very small. The fractures themselves can be tiny. Just a few days ago, I saw a runner who came to San Francisco to see me from overseas. He had a sesamoid fracture, now, not only on one foot, but he had it on both feet. And in some cases, even the radiology can miss the fracture on the x-ray. Now, there are really four ways doctors will make a diagnosis. The first thing is your history. The first tool the doctor uses to make the correct diagnosis is your story. Doctors call it the history of present illness. However, all we really do is listen to your story and see if your story is consistent with a sesamoid fracture. Now, if you kick something hard when you were barefoot in a way that could fracture the sesamoid, that story, of course, leads the doctor to suspect you have a sesamoid fracture. The second step is the physical exam. This part is not complicated. The doctor will simply look for outward signs of injury, such as redness, bruising, and swelling. If it looks injured, the doctor will then check to see if it feels injured. The structure that is damaged is usually the one that hurts when you push on it. When you go to the doctor, she will inspect your foot. If you have bruising and swelling in the area of the sesamoid bones, your doctor will probably suspect you have a sesamoid fracture or another structure very close to the sesamoid bones must be injured. 
By palpating or pushing directly on each of the sesamoid bones individually, the doctor will try to determine whether or not a sesamoid bone is in fact the injured structure. Now, the third step in the doctor's process is using some kind of imaging or tests. Now, in some cases, doctors will order additional tests such as x-rays, MRI, CT scan, or blood tests. And these tests give your doctor additional information, but it's really just additional information to support your history and physical exam. Although most runners think that x-rays are the only tool used to diagnose fractures, you have to remember that for thousands of years before the technology of x-ray imaging was developed, people were still getting fractures. 200 years ago, if a horse stepped on your foot, you would not get an x-ray. In the majority of cases, when I see an injured runner, I can make a diagnosis without an x-ray. X-rays may help the patient understand the injury, but they're not important in all cases. If you and I were out on a run through the Amazon jungle and you kicked a large root in your minimalist shoes, I would examine your foot and try to determine whether or not you broke anything. Of course, in the middle of the Amazon jungle, I would not be getting an x-ray. But based on your story, based on what happened, based on the way your foot looks, on your examination, and your response to treatment, we would be able to determine the severity of your injury. I, of course, could do all of this without an x-ray. The fourth tool that the doctor uses to make your diagnosis is your response to treatment. If I do everything in my power to treat your sesamoid injury in the middle of the jungle and you can run without pain, that tells us an awful lot about the severity of your injury. If you have no improvement with the subtle and simple sesamoid treatments, it would certainly imply that you have a more significant injury. Although many doctors will simply get x-rays on everybody who comes into the office with foot pain, it's not always necessary. If you have a sesamoid stress response or a sesamoid stress fracture, nothing at all will show up on your x-ray initially. Even if you have a lot of pain in the ball of the foot, your sesamoid may look totally normal on x-ray. And again, as I mentioned earlier, even if you do have a real fracture, the doctor still might miss it. But x-rays aren't the only alternatives. A CT scan can give you more information than an x-ray because it's basically like having a thousand x-rays of your foot. It is much better than x-ray at showing the subtle sesamoid fractures. An MRI shows inflammation much better than x-ray or a CT scan. An MRI is most often used to make the diagnosis of a sesamoid stress fracture, but the problem with an MRI is that it does not really distinguish between mild sesamoid stress fractures versus severe sesamoid stress fractures, and those have to be treated differently. So even if you want to get an x-ray, an MRI, or a CT scan of your foot because you suspect you have a sesamoid stress fracture, you have to take your story, the physical exam, and your response to treatment, and then combine all of them to develop the best treatment plan. When I go to medical conferences and lecture to physicians on running injuries, my primary task is to help them understand how to customize treatments for runners with specific running injuries. Runners have to make sure that they avoid standardized treatment protocols made for inactive sedentary patients. Those standardized treatment protocols are not developed for runners. They are not developed for you. So when you think about your sesamoid treatment plan, make sure you strategically stay active so you don't lose all all of your strength, fitness, and flexibility. Well, sesamoiditis is treated based on the extent of the injury. The main point is that it must be taken seriously. Sesamoiditis that is undertreated or ignored may get significantly worse, leading to a broken sesamoid bone, arthritis of the sesamoid bone, surgery, chronic pain, and permanently altered biomechanics. 
In the worst cases, a condition known as sick sesamoid syndrome develops and leads to a sesamoid bone that has to be surgically removed because it basically dies off. This is not good. If you remove one sesamoid bone, the other can become arthritic. The big toe can drift left or right, causing a bunion or another deformity to develop. That's not really complicated. You know, if you remove one of those two bones and you divide the weight between the two of them, you take one of them out, you just doubled the weight on the other one. Now, the thing above all else, you have to remember, you have to stop the activity that caused the sesamoiditis. This may seem obvious, but if you get sesamoiditis while you've been running up hills, stop. If you've been walking on a treadmill with it cranked up at a steep angle, stop. If you started to get pain in the sesamoids while using an elliptical trainer, you guessed it, stop. Try to avoid anything that forces you to stand up on the toes or forcibly bend the big toe upward. One of the simplest ways to relieve irritation and pressure to the sesamoids is with a dancer's pad. This is a felt or gel pad that has a cutout under the big toe joint. The idea is to move the pressure away from the sesamoid bones and transfer it to the ball of the foot under the second, third, and fourth metatarsal heads. If the pad is placed correctly, this can allow the inflammation to decrease and the sesamoid will heal. You can also tape the sesamoids. The sesamoids are stressed most at the end range of extension at the big toe joint, which when you're bending the toe all the way upward when you walk. By taping the big toe joint to limit this motion, you can transfer some of that stress to the tape and take stress off of the sesamoids, and that can help the sesamoids heal. When performing sesamoid taping, the best type of tape you can use is called elastoplast or tensoplast. It is strong, it is very adhesive, and it has a slight stretch to it so it won't irritate your skin. Now the best shoes for sesamoiditis are very stiff and have a rocker sole, and that means the forefoot is curved. Dansko clogs are probably the best example of the ideal shoe to decrease the load to the sesamoid bones. Because clogs are stiff, the big toe doesn't bend when you walk. In addition, the forefoot or sole is curved so that your foot actually rolls and further decreases pressure to the ball of the foot. Wearing the right shoes is sometimes enough to allow the sesamoiditis to heal on its own. Now, Hoka running shoes are specifically designed with a similar technology built into them. Hoka's have an active foot frame and a stiff meta rocker built under the forefoot so they help you roll across instead of pushing off and bending the big toe joint, and in some respects, they may reduce stress to the sesamoid bones. Now, oftentimes, when people get sesamoiditis, they want a quick fix, and oftentimes that translates to an injection. Now, corticosteroid injections are the very best way to stop inflammation that causes pain from arthritis, tendonitis, and even sesamoiditis. But steroid injections come with a price. Corticosteroids are great at breaking up collagen bonds. If the goal is to stop the pain and get back in the game, then that's a good thing. But if you're trying to break up scar tissue, this is a good thing. So if you happen to have little tears, though, in the FHL tendon, which, of course, is made up of highly organized collagen fibers, or you have a bruise or damage to the articular cartilage, the corticosteroids can be a bad thing. The problem actually can become much worse because the steroid injections actually break up and weaken the collagen bonds. A steroid injection should only be used with the intent of breaking up a chronic cycle of inflammation. They don't really cure anything. Another injection is Suparts or Synvisc, and these are basically like lubricants for the joints. Now, the sesamoids have been injured for a long time and you have developed arthritis in the sesamoids, hyaluronic acid injections may help. Suparts and Synvisc are the two types of injections. Now, they're both FDA approved to treat arthritis of the knee, but sports medicine specialists who treat runners and triathletes often use these in arthritic ankles and arthritic big toe joints. These injections serve as a joint lubricant and are more of a natural type of alternative to steroid injections because they don't damage anything. 
there are other types of injections for sesamoiditis, like stem cell injections and platelet-rich plasma, or PRP, injections. If the sesamoiditis is really just micro-tearing of the FHL tendon instead of a real injury to the sesamoid bone or the sesamoid cartilage, it's possible sometimes to induce healing through a PRP injection or a stem cell injection. And both of these types of injections basically force your body's own cells to stimulate new capillary formation in an injured tendon and rapidly repair a tendon that's been chronically injured. So there's some theory that these types of injections might help sesamoid injuries heal faster. However, you have to remember that this is what we call an off-label use. Although there's some doctors doing it as an advanced treatment, there's no real published studies or FDA approval for these types of indications. There are other advanced treatments that can help sesamoid stress fractures heal faster. A bone stimulator is one of the most effective methods to help a stress fracture or a completely broken sesamoid. As long as the crack is small and the pieces of bone haven't moved apart, a bone stimulator can help your body form bone and heal the fracture faster. You have to consider all these advanced treatments because it's really important to get the sesamoid bones to heal without surgery. But in some cases, sesamoiditis and sesamoid fractures might need surgery. If the fracture is displaced, meaning that the broken pieces have moved apart, surgery may be necessary to put the pieces back together using surgical wire or tiny little screws. When sesamoid fractures are ignored, they can become severely arthritic. If this happens, surgical removal of the sesamoid bone may become the only option. One thing you have to understand is that surgically repairing sesamoid fractures is impractical. They're very small bones. If your doctor says you need surgery on a sesamoid bone, get a second opinion from a running expert immediately. So what should you do if you think you have sesamoiditis? Well, if you think you have sesamoiditis, you have to make sure that you get the right diagnosis and the right treatment. You have to stop the activity that causes the injury. If you don't, it won't get better. Take it seriously. Stop running, cycling, walking uphill, and avoid any activity that causes the big toe to bend upward. Ice the ball of the foot two to three times a day for 10 minutes. Wear compressive socks and decrease the swelling, even if you don't think it's swollen. Keep the foot elevated when you're resting. Wear the stiffest shoes you can find. Dance go clogs and super stiff backpacking boots are the best for this. Tape the big toe with the elastoplast tape and keep the big toe joint still. If the pain under the big toe joint doesn't go away in a week or less, seek help from a sports medicine physician who treats these injuries in runners often. Sesamoid fractures are serious business. Sesamoid injuries can also be very difficult to heal. But if you and your doctor are thoughtful about the causes of stress applied to the sesamoid bones and you are diligent about finding ways to stay fit and maintain your strength, you can heal and get back to running. Don't forget, runners have a higher price to pay when they become immobilized in a cast or fracture walking boot. That sort of normal treatment puts runners at higher risk of re-injury once they heal. So, push your doctor for something other than the normal treatment plan. Remember, the goal isn't just to heal the injured sesamoid. The goal is to run. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me. And then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.